You're listening to episode two of In Film We Trust. I'm Wayne. I'm Liam. A new weekly podcast where we discuss, dissect, and deep dive all things film from the obscure to the mainstream. And now, on with the show. Released in 2021 from first-time writer and director Michael Sarnowski, Pig takes place in the forests and cityscapes of Portland, Oregon, and follows a recluse named Robin Feld. He spends his days in solitude, living in a small hut accompanied only by a pig who he uses to forage for truffles, which are then sold to high-end restaurants in the city. When his beloved companion is stolen by unknown thieves, Rob sets out on a quest to get it back with the reluctant help of business associate Amir. Their journey takes them into Portland's seedy underbelly, where Rob comes face to face with not only a succession of unpleasant characters, but also with the grim realities of his past and the spectre that has been plaguing him throughout his self-imposed exile. You're actually kind of far down the Nicolas Cage rabbit hole, aren't you? The whole meme cage. Very much, because can you think of another actor that is more memeable than Nicolas Cage? Not presently, but it's actually when um, Nicolas Cage done Bad Lieutenant, the yeah. Werner Herzog one. Werner Herzog compared him to Kinski in a way, because what he did say is, with Kinski, Kinski could do 200 bad films, but every time he worked with me, it was a great performance. And he said with when he worked with Cage for um, Bad Lieutenant, he said it was another great performance. And so he kind of compared him. So there is a comparison there. Although I do imagine Werner Herzog probably at no point wanted to kill Nicolas Cage. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> no, but if you think about it, you think of some of the films he's been in and just how memeable they are. You've got Face Off, Wicker Man, Deadfall, Vampire's Kiss. There's so many of them just where a lot of people will maybe only know the film from a screenshot of Cage doing something mad. Yeah. But the thing is with Cage, he got away with it because he was doing really good films. And Wild at Heart, he's quite over the top. Even Raised in Arizona, it's when it translated into he was doing this a similar shtick in a bad film. It, it felt like he was doing the stick in movies that didn't so because someone like Raising Arizona, it's a farcical film. It's a, yeah. sil- it's a silly film. So his performance almost seemed like on par with everybody else's. But... Well, it worked in harmony with the material. Yeah, absolutely. But then he did some other films where, I want to say unpalatable, because I thought this performance does not fit this film. This makes no sense why he's acting like this in this movie. Do you think it was just crap directors who said, oh, look who didn't know how to direct him well, and they said, oh, just do something similar to you done in such and such film. I think that could be a reason. Interestingly, Deadfall, I don't know if you ever seen no, Deadfall. No, Deadfall. I can't even remember. Is All it I forgettable? Can, I can remember Cage being mad in it, but it was directed by a relative. It's directed by a yeah. Coppola, I think maybe his cousin. I get the feeling he just said, Nicholas, just do whatever you want. Yeah. But with a lot of these later ones, they didn't know how to rein him in. They didn't know what to tell him to do. So he just kind of went... Well, I'm just going to oversell this. When did your kind of Cage fandom start? What what film was that particularly what kind of struck you? Thinking back, I reckon Face Off was probably the first major John Woo. film. Yeah, John Woo. Yeah, that was probably the first major film I've seen him in. And I love that film now just as much as I did back then. It's a stupid film. Do you think but... that was almost the catalyst for blockbuster Cage? Yeah, what went into Gone in 60 Seconds and then... Yeah, because that was his... Con Because the 90s were, you could argue that was his best decade. It yeah. was a very interesting because he won his Oscar in that decade. But then again, you know, he would also, yeah, again, later go on to do movies like yeah, like Face Off. So, yeah, it was a very interesting decade for yeah, him in the 90s. Because he's actually a very interesting actor. Because if you think Moonstruck with Sure, did you ever sure. see that? No, no, I didn't. But I know that which was, that was a really good film. Mm-hmm. And then he was obviously in a smaller part in Rumblefish, which was directed by his uncle Francis. Mm-hmm. And Leaving Las Vegas, which obviously won the Oscar for. Fantastic performance. And then Wild at Heart with um, David Lynch. Yeah. He's one of them actors who I think when his time comes and he's like a very old man, he'll be looked at more fondly than he is now. I think Roger Ebert said the same kind of thing. It's He's one of those actors who he's not talked about like you talk about Olivier or Daniel Day-Lewis. No. But I think in the future we'll look back and yeah, I think people will reappraise his work and I think they will see a lot more merit in it because the thing a lot of people I think forget is that he's he can be very method, not like again like your Oh yeah. Like your Day Lewis's your De Niro's, but for a movie like I think it was Birdie 
he pulled two of his teeth out without anaesthetic. I'm pretty sure he wasn't asked to do that, but Shia LaBeouf done that for um, Fury. Fury. He yeah. actually cut his own face up. Yeah, and silly he did, bugger. He didn't, he didn't wash either. But yeah, but he goes full method. I, I think Cage is very dedicated to his craft, but I think he maybe approaches it in a different way. He even said he was going to write a book, and he'd called his acting style. I don't know if I'm saying this right, like nouveau shamanic. New shamanic, is it? Nouveau shamanic or something like that, yeah. which, which, again, sounds like something Cage would come up with. Even, I guess, objectively bad movies like Ghost Rider, he went pretty method. Like, he isolated himself from the crew, and he would, I think he would pull faces in mirrors to try and get the right expressions. Well, stuff, I think so. that's a that's a film he actually lobbied pretty hard for, didn't he? Yeah, because well, he's a huge comic book collector, com- isn't he? Comic book guy, yeah. yeah. I didn't actually see all of, I didn't see all of Ghost Rider, but from what I've seen, it's like, it, a movie that didn't really deserve him, but at least he's trying. It's not. No, it's not great. I saw it once. It's one of them films. It's like, all right, I've saw it. It was subpar. I'm not gonna go rewatch yeah. it. For me, the saddest part of Cage's career when he went through a period where he had quite bad financial situation, which is what happens when you go around Europe buying castles and owning. Do you not own like a bunch of exotic animals? Well, or did something? he not buy like the remains of a dinosaur, dinosaur bones? Yeah, something like that. Did you not? Did he try and buy Graceland, or he, he buys lots of Elvis merch because he's a big Elvis fan? Well, he literally bought uh, Lisa Marie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, controversial! But, yeah. but he bought tons and tons of this stuff, and so he had to do a bunch of movies. You could see his heart wasn't in it. Like he did that Left Behind Rapture movie. There was one called Justice where he just looks like that twinkle in his eye is not there. Yeah, he was almost on the curb of going uh, video on demand. Yeah, he just... He, where his be, career was just going to play out like a Van Damme yeah, or like something. Yeah, like he could have been basically what like Bruce Willis is now. Ooh. But he still managed to have, you know, some bounce back films. And I think he's still very, a very endearing actor. Well, and Cage is, to be fair, is... Far more versatile than Bruce Willis. Absolutely, yeah. It makes me despair looking at all of Bruce Willis' stuff oh, now. But it's, mm. I yeah. don't know what happens to them. But, I think they get pigeonholed so much in a specific role, and it's their only way of making money, so they know themselves they're making crap. They do, and I think that's an area where Cage has succeeded, because I'm not sure you could pigeonhole him into a certain place, because he does a huge variety of films, whether it be comedies and dramas and all kind of things in between. So, Well, Cage is actually going the clever route because for every crap blockbuster he does, he'll do like a precious indie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's getting the acclaim for the small film and the money from yeah. the blockbuster. Exactly. And speaking of all the memes and all the mad overacting stuff, does that in any way relate to the film we're talking about today? Absolutely not. No, it doesn't. Because it, it's very subtle. Because today we were talking about the 2021 film Pig. Pig, oink. Oink, oink, which is one of the most one of the most daring movies he's ever done. At present, one of his most acclaimed. I think on Rotten Tomatoes, it's actually his most acclaimed movie that he's ever done. And and Michael Sarnofsky's first film yes, to yeah, direct, yeah, directorial yeah, debut. Because I looked this up. He's done like shorts. Because a lot of these yeah, directors, yeah. they do shorts. Music, yeah, you don't just go randomly yeah, into a feature. But this is his first feature length. Did he... I know this is his directorial debut. Did he write this movie himself? I think it was he co-wrote it with Vanessa Block, wasn't it? Okay, then it was that with the story. Was that the actual screen? Screenplay? I think she contributed to the story and the script. Sorry, and she they come up with a story together. So it's like a a, Tarant, a Pulp Fiction Tarantino uh, kind of situation. Well, with Pulp Fiction, Rod Avery just wrote one segment of the film. One he he didn't have any input on the rest of it. Mm-hmm, yeah, but with this one, yeah, this was yeah, it was, his... a co- it was somewhat of a collaboration throughout the entire script. This was a breakthrough film, and this was a very wow, what a film to get started on your on your like motion picture career. Yeah, well, because when I was reading, I mean that. Uh, Sarnofsky's he just kept getting this image didn't he of just this basic image of an old man and a pig on a, in the woods <laughs> like an old you, like man you do. and a yeah. pig in the woods and from there it kind of gestated into the film we're talking about basically what it is now yeah because it started shooting in about September 2019 so look it was before yeah. pandemic stuff and it only took 20 days to 20 shoot 20 days and you think wow he must have been like the most efficient director kind of thing. But basically, the reason is they had a very small budget. It was $4 million. They didn't was really, it $4 million? $4 it? million. They didn't really have money for reshoots or doing any retakes. No. They had to get it right then. It was like when Christopher Nolan did Following. He, he had his actors, like they did here, he had them rehearse over and over and over again so they didn't have to do as many reshoots. Yeah, so when they're actually on set, they know what they're doing. So they've done this a bunch. Of, it'd be like a theatre actor who's done yeah. the same part over and over again. They can go from shot to shot to shot without having to keep going over it. Yes, they've done this a whole bunch of times before. I'm talking of the budget. They couldn't even afford a trained pig, could no, they? No, they couldn't. The pig had three days of three training. Days training and it bit Cage several times as well. Oh, no. Cage is just, Cage is quoted as saying, quote, 
I've been set on fire, I've been in flipped cars, but it'll be sepsis from a pig bite that kills me. I think he was all right, though. <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest, though. That's If Cage went that way, would you be surprised? That's no. But, um, yeah, the pig had three days on, three only three days of training, because they couldn't... Where would you buy, Where would you get a, high, a trained pig? I don't if know. a trained dog, where would you get a trained pig? How... Is there much in the way of training a pig? How many pigs can? How many famous pigs can you think of in movies? Babe, Babe, yeah. Gordy. Who's Gordy? I think that was like a Babe. It was like oh, one right, of those, yeah. it was one of the situations oh, where they okay. come at the same time. But so Cage had, like I say, yeah, he got he got bit by a pig. And I was reading a Variety interview, and he was talking about about this film because we're talking now about a guy again, been through all these memes, yeah, lot of bad movies, lot of wacky performances. And he's kind of come down to a level now. He said he, uh, Cage said he'd left Hollywood and he'd gone into my own wilderness, which very much plays into... Yeah, well, as well with Cage, he actually refers to this film or the character in the film as the most like himself yeah, out he, of any film he's done. He said the same about Joe, Joe as well. Yeah. Uh, did you ever see Joe? Joe no, was a the, fantastic film. Yeah, it looked a good one as Again, well. Again, the very similar kind of very earthy, gritty movie. Not not like Mad Cage overacting, very earthy performance. No, kind of, it's dialed down and he's doing a very subtle, nuanced performance. He is, yeah, because he said that he felt, uh, this made sense, he, was weighed, he felt weighed down by audience expectations, box office expectations, studio executives, things like that. Because I guess... It'd be like when Arnold was when Arnold kind of hit his Arnold Schwarzenegger hit his ceiling. They didn't want him to do comedy. They wanted to do action films because that's what he was making money on. So I think Cage felt they weren't giving him a chance to do these kind of things he wanted to do. Yeah, they, they were limiting his range. Again, like when you start making big money in blockbusters, it's kind of risky to go to do smaller films because I suppose because you, your cachet goes down and your thing when your box offers returns are so much smaller and diminished the producers are like oh well he's not bringing in the money he was yeah. in the prior films yeah. but Nicolas Cage has that talent like a performer like Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. or Julianne Moore to bounce back and forth between big blockbusters and those little indie films and like we were on about Bruce Willis I think it's the actual for longevity it's the more sustainable yeah because like Bruce Willis has clearly hit a wall hasn't he because with these movies he can turn up on set he can do three, about three days worth of shooting and get like a million dollars for it. And let's be honest, cheap action films are literally just made for video on demand, aren't they? They are. Like a lot, a lot of these recent ones I've seen, they look like, someone said they look like they're filmed in just a lit, like they're supposed to be taking place on a spaceship, but they look like they're filmed in a, a lit warehouse. And what he said about Cage with this film, he said, they'd put a camera on you and photograph you and order you. Now, say the roller skate training wheels line. I'd say, I'll do that, but I'd also like to try it this way. On independent movies, you have more freedom to experiment and be fluid. There's less pressure and there's more oxygen in the room. Well, that's the thing. You can actually bring your personality to the role and your talent to the role. You're not there just to say lines and look cool, are you? No, because that's in those big blockbusters, that's all they want. But here, again, because he said this felt more like him, I felt he was injecting a lot more stuff. It felt like a very authentic performance. He was putting a lot of himself into the performance. I yeah. Felt. What do you think of the opening of this film? It was so evocative. You know it opens on that. There's a, a shot of a river, mm-hmm. but it's not a calming, natural shot. It's got that low rumble, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Like, very grey and... Yeah. Do you know what it was reminiscent of? The opening sequence in There Will Be Blood. Oh, yeah. It's very slow study. Again, that's the same because PTA with his, like, again, almost kind of rumbling in the score. Yeah, because what you get from Cage in this opening of this film, did you find as well, it very much feels like you're in a different era almost. You could be in the frontier times. Yeah, you would never know. You could watch this and think it was like The Revenant. Yeah. Because we're out in this wilderness, Cage obviously very kind of old-fashioned dress. Yeah, because we're literally, he's he lives in the cabin in the woods, doesn't cabin, he? The, uh, cabin in the woods. Cabin in yeah. the woods, yeah. yeah. You get this impression that this is a man out of touch with rea- out of touch with modern civilization. So, so, yeah, did yeah. you see uh, also the film he did a few years ago, Mandy, that was the same. Again, it was like kind of yeah. living in the woods, detached from society. Far more psychotic, though. Yeah, it was, it was, it was <laughs> mad money. That picture with blood all over his face, yeah. But it's a similar kind of thing. It's not an outcast thing, but, you know, living out, like I say, outside of society. No, he's, he, you get this impression this is a man who's very pushed himself here. He's mm-hmm. not been taken here. He himself has fled to this, what he, I suppose, the sanctuary from modern society. Kind of like a sort of voluntary exile that he's in. yeah. And I tell you something, I missed in this film the first time. There's a scene, and I should actually preface by saying each act is titled. And what is the title of this one, Wayne? Rustic Mushroom Tart. 
in the opening when he's in the cabin and he's making some kind of pastry, isn't he, with the flour and eggs. Yeah. And it wasn't until the second time I watched this that you see the attention to detail he's actually put into. I thought exactly the same thing because when the we'll get to it, but when the film is over, I immediately thought back to the start, saying like, oh, this all makes sense now. Yeah, because at the start, it's just you you don't think too much. It's just a a guy who's making his own food. You you? do stereotype him as this kind of woodsman. You think, oh, does he just eat? Yeah. Does he just uh, like a forager? Does he just eat the foods? You know, the food that right off the trees, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and kind of his. Because he plays a tape, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And on the tape is for Robin, it says. Yes. Which is ambiguous, because when he first plays this tape, I thought Robin was the girl and he had made the tape. You think so? Because I it, didn't realise his name. He doesn't tell you his name at the start. No, no, you don't. You, you have no idea who... Again, Yeah. Like, you have no idea who this guy is, and it's just... I. I don't know. I love those kind of shots that don't have to explain a lot. There's no narration. There's no text on screen. It's just showing this guy living the way he lives. And then he can't play the tape. He starts it, and it's a woman... Doesn't specify who, and she's she's kind of playing, isn't she, on the yeah, recording? She, she's, she's and then she goes on to to sing a song. But yes, like but he, he to, turns it off. Yes, so, so. For, almost from the start, you're getting okay. Something has happened. There is a reason he is here. There is still a connection to society. Yeah, but there's there. nothing. There's not much in the way of modernity in this cabin. No, it's not like a cabin with all your modern comfort. Because I even thought, even he's playing it on a cassette. It's not a. It's not an MP3. It's not a CD. It's yeah. just. An, it's just like an old. Like, like a, what would you say, a stereo? Like, like, like a, a boombox. Boombox boom box that folk, yeah, you know, yeah. would have carried around. Yeah, just it's just an old boombox, a very old looking tape that he's just played. And actually, the first puncture to this kind of antiquated way of living is the sound of that car coming, Amir. Amir's car coming in. Yeah, yeah. And then that's where we meet Amir. Which I didn't realise. Did you, I never realised it was a son of Hereditary? It was, yeah. I, I never knew that until like halfway through the film. I was like... Yeah, uh, Alex, Alex Wolf, I believe yeah. his name is. Then he comes in because he's the first person to speak. Yeah, he he's kind of like the... What would you say? He's playing a stereotypical, almost yuppie figure. He is, yeah. He's kind of like... He's got that cockiness, that swag. Well, he turns up, was it a Chevy he comes in? This yeah, bright kind of yellow, a sports this, car. This bright yeah. yellow Chevy he turns up and he's all swaggering. He's... He's trying to be cocky. He's trying to be funny, and Cage is just not even giving him the time no, of Cage, day. He's got no time. This is purely a transactional. It's not a friendship. Because this is where we learn uh, the reason he has the pig is because Cage forages for truffles. For truffles, and yeah, and he, that's what why um, Amir is here yeah, to buy he the truffles. Supplies them to Amir, and Amir supplies them to high-end restaurants because truffles are. I don't know if you, I've never had a truffle, but they are. No, I've never either. They're very highly sought, up, sought after delicacy. That must say something about our social class. <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat truffles, but yeah, he comes and he, he gets these uh, truffles. Yeah, he just leaves. And I know. No, no, he he says. Remember, it, he actually tries to get um, Nicholas Cage, Robin, to um, update in his living standards, oh, does, or yeah, even yeah. a phone, because Amir says he doesn't want to be the one who finds him finds dead, him on dead the floor. for dead in the floor. Yeah. yeah, he wants him to kind of update his life, but of course, Cage is just like. No, no bother. Well, Cage says nothing. He says nothing. But what I liked is when when Amir left. Did you notice what he said when he uh, when he left? Almost like a slight to him. He said, "See you next Thursday." Oh, did he? Kind of like a "See you next Tuesday." Like I noticed that. I'm like, "Oh, you cheeky bugger!" Because yeah. he says that before he leaves. He's got nothing out of Cage. But again, I love this opening scene because it just shows the character being who he is, and it does this create the sense of intrigue. Like you got the tape. What's up with this Amir guy? Why does he live this way? Just a man and his pig. Just a man and his pig. But yeah. that's, this film does throughout the whole film. It's like, it v- can seem very stereotypical. And I thought this at first. But then it subverts and it inverts all them stereotypes and the cliches you think are just being routine. Yeah, did you did you yeah you, you kind of ex- you kind of expect it to go a certain way but then there's a lot of bits where oh I didn't think they would do that kind of like turning yeah, things because on like his head. when Amir comes like oh here's the annoying twatty rich guy yeah which obviously it plays out a certain way but as thing progresses no I actually like that I liked what they did with Amir because it would have been very easy to have Amir as just this this one dimensional dick yeah the kind of the vain materialistic dick yeah but because of the way he's written yeah there's a lot of nuance he gets maybe the most character development would you say over the course of the film he gets a lo- what it does is it puts an understanding to the audience why he acts or why he holds himself the way he does the opening scene also helps again with the tape and stuff it helps establish i'd say the what would you say the basic themes of this movie the ones that run right through it redemption redemption is one of them i said things like loss and grief or uh, Re- yeah definitely loss and grief as well. and i think Those that are, plays into the redemption yeah yeah very much it very much does but i like how again it was established and it's very much followed through right through the film yeah this is uh it really subtly goes with those themes that we mentioned yeah and, and it, it, it holds them from the opening scene 
and each plot point as the story goes it's, it's almost like a meditation on grief yeah and it adds i like how it added other elements in but it didn't ever lose focus and also it, it added to the story rather than taking away from it, it didn't over complicate things no I felt. so when amir buggers off he drives off with the truffles mm. that's when what happens wayne well the crux of the story the pig is stolen the bloody pig is stolen now, this is someone I was going to ask you. Did you feel we should have spent longer with Cage and the pig? What, to build like a... I don't, because the pig is a stand-in for something else we'll get to. The pig is not important. Mm. The, the pig is just the catalyst to get to where he's going to find himself. Mm, very interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, almost, I, I had kind of the opposite thought. I thought it would have been nice to spend more time with the pig. But like you say, yeah. it, the pig is, like I say, kind of a metaphor. Yeah, the, the pig's a metaphor. Because this film isn't about a pig. This isn't like a version of Taken where his possession is taken and he's yeah. just looking for that thing back. Yeah, exactly. And this is where, did you hear people um, drawing parallels between this film and John Wick? Yeah, which it, this, which I'm saying, it kind of subverts that idea, doesn't it? It, it does, because I think the main reason it does is because John Wick was essentially a revenge story. Yeah, you could... Because well, well, I kind of went into this blindly. It was you who recommended this. All I'd seen was the trailer. And to anybody thinking, that, okay, this is just going to be another stupid film where somebody's possessions taken and he's going to he has to go get it back and he's going to cause holy hell to get it back and mm -hmm. it's the furthest thing this is what i'm saying it subverts all the cliche it uses the cliches mm -hmm. it does use the cliches but it subverts them to get to the point it's going to take you it even uses like it uses cliches in a way you wouldn't expect well even the guys who take the damn pig you know how they're supposed to be the typical Kind of, what would you say? Like kind of like junkies in that. There's, there's creepy junkies they meet up with, yeah. Because you don't actually see who's Who there. Takes him, though. It's very much kind of a blind He just gets attack. knocked in the head. He gets knocked down, and then, of course, he wakes up and his pig is gone. Yeah. And then this is his, I guess his mission is just to go out and find this pig now, because at this point, the pig's just looked upon as his livelihood, really, isn't it? Yeah. You could almost say the knock on the head's actually the. the stealing of the pig is the catalyst of the story isn't it is it? it's absolutely the yeah. catalyst though it's what it's what kicks the thing yeah. into action because before this he was just kind of living his life but now it's like he's got this this new mission yeah and so we go from there and he goes looking for these junkies with a mirror doesn't he yeah and, and it's what, what is it like a mark is it like a market in the woods it's not like, like a trailer or something because there's these the people that come along and the very these very very twitchy people yeah they, why is it are they selling truffles out in the woods or something I don't know. I think they. I think they work for a, a person that we meet later on. I think that's how it happens. But yeah, basically, it's it's one of those things where there are people who are there to give us information to get us to like where we're going next. Yeah, these these are just plot points on the way to the, the story. The yeah. plot devices, we'll yeah, say, plot yes, devices. Because to... essentially, this is um, meeting with them is going to send him into the city. Where yeah, because because tell... the, ju the junkies did take it, didn't they? They did. They, yes. He did find the right people at the market type place, and it was them who and they say. The city slicker took it from them, or mm -hmm. did they sell it to the city slicker? No, I think they, was it they gave it to the city slicker, or did they sell it to them? Because ultimately, the pig is going, the pig is going into the city. Yeah. So when we get this information, we bugger off to the sea, which is because um, Cage goes into the diner, doesn't he? Yeah. He goes, and, and he asks through for him, a side door. Like, what yeah. was the deal with that guy? So was he just a chef, or was he the owner? Because he has... oh no, I'm on about before there, Wayne. You know the diner, and this is quite important. You, oh, the diner. Yeah. Yeah, and he asks for Marge. Yeah. And she says, Marge hasn't, was it Marge hasn't worked here in years? For, for 10 years. So this this just shows you that Nicholas Cage's character, Robin, he's so out of the loop. Because you think, all right, he's not been living, he can't be there that long. But I mean, literally yeah. a decade's gone by of this isolation. Yeah, just have him been out because he doesn't even know yeah, what this person is. I mean, obviously we never see who Marge is. No. It's just obviously someone he knows, but he has so little actual attachment to this city and to this civilization yeah but then we do go to the city yeah and this is kind of like the what would you a fish out of water yeah because you see him um, that those shots where you see someone in a car looking out the window at the yeah. metropolis around them yeah. again as we as we mentioned last time with killers just how these cities look so bleak in these kind of movies oh yeah did you, it's funny one of my first thoughts for whatever reason you know when he was walking down the street all dressed in his rags and all bloody i, I thought Christ, it's, it's uh, Robin Williams from Jumanji. You know, when he comes... <laughs> did, when he comes out of the jungle. Yeah. yeah. It, I did have that kind of a lot. I was expecting more shots of people kind of staring at him like, what's this? What's, who's this guy here? There was an interview with Nicolas Cage and, and the interviewer said, why does nobody actually mention throughout the film that he's all bloody in that? And Cage would say, well, that's rude. 
<laughs> but I think it actually comes into the theme of this story that he's... Because what does Edgar say to him when he goes to the thing? He says, you're useless, you mean nothing anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that pertains to this. Nobody acknowledges um, Robin's appearance because he is of no value anymore. He's been out of the yeah. loop so long, he is literally of no value. Because that's the important word, anymore. Yeah. Anymore, so that makes you think, right, what was he yeah, beforehand? He, what was he before? Because that? we have no idea, because we know him as a truffle farmer. So, as you were saying, that side door of the restaurant they go to, is it? Yeah, because it's clear this person they meet, who is a chef or something like that, has this very uneasy relationship with Amir. It's like he doesn't want to let them in at first, but then... And you can see Amir's embarrassment at being with he Cage, can well, Because you see with Amir driving the car, yeah, wearing the clothes he does, doing the job he does, he obviously thinks a lot of himself. And this is... Because he's, he's, he says at parts in his films, like, this will damage his reputation. Yeah. He'll lose face. Yeah, he's... This is what I'm saying, the stereotypical dickhead. So he's he? yeah, so he's brought this grimy guy to this restaurant. But the this the, the cigarette smoking uh, restaurant worker at the side, he makes Amir makes a flippant remark. You know when they're walking into the and he says because he's embarrassed by it, he says, Oh, he's Buddhist. <laughs> and I don't think that's a flippant remark. That is actually an important part of this story. Yeah. I think so. It goes with this theme. Because there's a point where you think, okay, this character, Robin. This is before you know the reasons why. You could say, you get this, um, or form this opinion that he may be, he's almost zen. Mm-hmm. He, he's not reactive, really. Oh, see, he's kind of, because you shut this kind of thing yeah. out. Yeah, and it, this is what I'm saying, this meditation on grief, this meditation on loss. Mm-hmm. He's not overcome to it, but to the point of a traditional revenge fil- thriller mm-hmm. where he's wanting to brutalize people. Mm. He's very centered he's very calm he's not quick tempered and that is that is going to be demonstrated in yeah what is coming up now because he goes into this restaurant yeah and you know he knows what he's looking for and he finds this he has to move these like these shelves out the way yeah it was once a part of hotel portland wasn't yeah, it yeah it was, and then there's this area what was left over of the sub basement i think it yeah. was and it, it had this moment had i don't know if you laughed at this so this was for me one of the there's not lots of funny moments but this was one of the good ones where he's taken all this st- Cage is taking all this stuff down. Amir's giving him a ton of crap. He's just effing and blinding him and all this stuff. And he's like, at one point, he's like, oh, what do you want? Do you, what, do you fuck your pigs? Is that why you want yeah. it back? And Cage ignores everything else he says. And eventually, <laughs> just before he pulls in, he goes, I don't fuck my pig. But he says it quite <laughs> relatively calm. Yeah, just, I don't fuck my pig. Yeah. Well, I hope not. Well, I don't. <laughs> we, we don't know. He's in, yeah, the long 10 years in them woods. He's in the woods for a long time. Yeah. But I just love that because he's just, he's not acknowledged any of that. But in a moment, when he goes through that bit, he. He takes the boxes for what happens. Yes, he goes through this corridor and he ends up in, of all places, Fight Club. Yeah, Fight Club. Which, and this is where you think it's going to turn into the traditional thriller. Oh, yeah, here he goes. I did, because he walked in, there's cardboard things on the floor. Incidentally, Fight Club, one of my favourite movies. I thought, oh, are we going to get to see... Yeah, are we going to get to see this now? Edgar's there again, and then he goes up, right to, writes Robin his, Feld. But big letters, writes his own yeah. name on the board. And boards. then you get all the shifty buggers there, uh, wagering. Yeah, because yeah. you, th- you think, right he's going to have to fight some big burly dude in order to find the information. And it's a little guy in a waistcoat. It is. Because all the ones in this, we should say, who are in this so-called fight club are actual restaurant workers. Yeah, and they all stand there, and there's almost this, this look of reverence on the face. That's also very important. And he stands there, and you think, right, this guy's going to swing a punch, and Cage is going to belt him back. Or you think, okay, Cage is going to let him get a few hits in the traditional way, and then Cage at the end is going to fight back. But then Cage must have forgotten because he stands there and he gets hit again and again. Because he puts his hands behind his back. He does, yeah. And this dude just, he's just wailing on him, striking the hell out of him. Yeah, so so after he takes that beating, he actually goes up to Edgar and he says, where is my pig? (laughs) And and Edgar Edgar hands him a piece of paper, doesn't he? Because it's like he doesn't even acknowledge, again, the Zen thing. Like he doesn't even really acknowledge the beating. Well, that's, just, what's the thing? That's why that Buddhist remark, and I'll say it again, it's not a flippant remark. Hmm. It actually goes to the theme of this film. This, it's a testament to how clever the screenplay is. It's like they don't have all these just throwaway lines. Like, they, they really tie in. Yeah, and subverting the the whole thrill, revenge thriller idea. Yeah, because he goes to this guy, like I say, he's given, given this bit of paper, and that's another clue that's going to lead us on to basically the next part of the film. Yeah, and when actually... He gets the piece of paper. Nicholas Cage goes to lie down somewhere on his couch, isn't it? Yeah, on a couch, yeah. And and Amir hands him a, some kind of frozen good to put on his face. And when Amir does that, that's kind of the first time you see 
kind of an emotion on Amir. He mm-hmm. has like such sorrow in his eyes. Yeah, that's the first. That's the first sign that there's actually something more depth to him than more, the materialistic. Not just to him, not just to him, but between the two of them. Yeah, that's that's the first time it's even there's any, even any kind of acknowledgement that there's emotion. There's any kind of emotion between them. Yeah, which is further explored actually because. We go from there into our first glimpse into Amir's interior world, because this is where we end up in his apartment. And um, that's where we have Mum's French Toast and Deconstructed Scallops. Which is the title that comes up, isn't it? It is. This is this is the Act 2 title. Which is one of them weird things, like... Because this obviously is going to pertain to Robin, isn't it? Yes. Because at first it. you don't know this. You're wondering, okay, well, they're just titling it what they're going to have for Amir's. Yeah. Because it got to a point where I started thinking, okay, so food is also a theme now because the movie is drawing, is emphasising so much of these foods. But you also in this apartment, you get to see kind of how Amir and Robin on the surface seem the antithesis because Amir's apartment is very modern isn't it's it it's very very, very modern, spacious very modern, very clean it, it almost looks, sterile looking yeah it looks like a very up-to-date apartment and this is where we see what edgar wrote in the paper hmm. he just wrote finways didn't he finways yes and Which, this is this is one of those kind of the biggest things because we don't know what finways is yet and we get an, a, a glimpse into amir because amir they're making conversation, which is quite hard with Robin, would you say? What? Well, it's difficult conversing with someone who barely says anything. Yeah, but, but Amir mentions his mum killed himself, didn't he? She killed herself, yeah. yeah. It's, it's very much, this is kind of him opening up. It almost comes out of nowhere, but I guess because they're together, and I guess Amir thinks, I'm going to be with this guy for quite a while, he feels maybe they should try and almost establish... Almost like it's nervous, yeah, establishing a rapport and... Maybe because Robin doesn't say say much, it's like almost nervous chatter, like to stimulate the conversation. It is kind of like you say, like where that thing where you're nervous and you say maybe more than you should. Because Amir has a an anecdote, doesn't he, where his he would mention his parents always coming back from dates miserable, wouldn't they? Wouldn't yeah, they? Always, always arguing. Back. Yeah, when like, they got back, it apart was just from, constant like yeah, warring family. Yeah. Apart from one time when they went to this restaurant and. Um, they actually came back in a good mood, didn't they? Yes, in the first time, you think, well, why did that happen then? So that's where that's basically where we're going now, because he's made him this food. Actually, before we move on, one thing I really liked about this movie was the continuity with it, because Cage has just been beaten in that fight club thing, and he's got blood all over his face. Yeah. That never goes away. He never makes any effort to wash any of that off. No, he's like a mountain man who's came to the city, isn't he? The whole Basically time. Basically, do you think he's almost using that like an intimidation tactic? Is it intimidation, or is it just a contrast to contrast him against civility? Mm. Or is it the Zen thing again? Well, that's the thing, because he actually goes into a spiel about how, and he calmly says it, how, like, every 200 years in Portland, there's a natural disaster. Yeah, there's, like, is it, it was like an earthquake or something. An earthquake or volcanoes. and Like, it's going to be destroyed, and then it's going to kind of come back again. Yeah, and it's near impossible to survive, basically. Yeah, basically. He's because got... Amir is constantly looking for hope in the story, and Robin's kind of dashing that hope, which kind of goes... This is what I kind of toyed with, because... Somebody who is zenful, and I don't know much about Buddhism, but somebody who is zenful are at peace with the current mode, but you kind of get a hint that, okay, Robin's very calm, but he's very dark at the same time. He's very, he does have this very bleak, cynical outlook. Yeah, he's but, very pessimistic. But when we, when we do find more things about him, he has reasons to be. So, so how do you think that kind of goes into the theme like we were saying about the kind of almost like the Buddhist monk away in the wilderness. Do you think it contradicts it slightly? Well, do you think it could be a case of because he's so Zen, he's you know he's zoned out. He's actually able to see maybe see the world for the way it really is, because this movie does present this very kind of seedy underbelly kind of thing. Well, that's one. Have you ever heard that theory? It's like there's this philosophical theory of about depression, right? And this theory is that the person who is severely depressed doesn't have a distorted view of the world. They have a view of the world that is not clouded by optimism. Ah, uh, yeah, it's like that that um that old adage: um, paranoia is just knowing all the answers. Yeah, yeah, like or they say when like in an insane world, it's only the insane person who can see clearly, kind of thing. And you kind of get this, um, you build up this picture of Robin. It's like, okay, what trauma? 
what has happened? Yeah, because they both have these very contrasting lifestyles because Robin, like I say, is very calm, very zen. Amir's got this million-mile-an-hour lifestyle where he's dashing back and forward, so he's not really had time to just look at the way things are. And it's also in his apartment where he kind of opens up about his dad because his dad's like a real top business guy, he's isn't he? A, a lo- a, locally, anyway. He's a big hotshot in the city, and he, yeah. And he mentions his dad's always with it, always on point. And then Amir in... In this same scene, when he goes to the bathroom, he's like he's talking himself up, trying to, yeah. like that, a confidence that, that, that booster. Stare, that staring in the mirror, psych yourself up, kind of thing. Yeah, in the mirror, you know, yeah, stereotypical kind of cliche. Did but. you feel that he was just he wasn't really convincing himself? It's like he was doing that because he feels that's like what business people do. Yeah, you get the impression. Well, this is kind of the first break in the impression. Okay, here's this yuppie guy, but when you add the depth to it you see he's just trying to fulfill his father's wishes in a way. Yeah, he's basically... His got, demands. He's got impossible... He feels he's got impossible shoes to fill, but he's still he's still trying and he's still got ambition, but it's like he feels nothing will ever be good enough for his dad. Like, he's trying to do something he feels he wants to do, but he's just not the right fit for kind of thing. Yeah. And that's why he's trying to make himself out to be... Like the hot shot, the big shark, kind and of he's thing. really not. He's not. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, especially when he's around someone with Robin who has just no time for his crap. No, they 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 are. Well, on surface they're the antithesis, but we we find out they're not really. No, and that's one thing I liked about this movie: how the characters did develop very very well, very subtly as well. They're almost one in the same. They are. Yeah, there's like there's definitely moments of convergence that we get to witness. They're both lives transformed and molded by trauma you could say yeah like the the way they witness each other and that plays very much into what happens next the scene next where they go to the butcher the, where we go to the butcher scene yeah because yeah. he well, well, um amir asks the butcher if he can get a reservation at finway's which was the address on um robin's piece of piece paper, of paper. Yeah. and the butcher has no time for him does he no, nobody does. He, Amir's kind of trying to, what would you say, bribe him with truffle supplies, etc., etc. And the butcher's not budging. So Amir says, I'm a friend of, an acquaintance of Robin Feld. Yeah, Robin Feld is, in this movie, it's like the key that will get you in anywhere. It's the VIP He's, card. he's the universal key, yeah. yeah what unlocks all, all doors. It's like Kaiser Soze in Usual Suspects. Yeah. You just need to mention the name. And... Well, they get their bloody reservation, don't they? They do. They worked. They do. At a restaurant called, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to butcher this name, Eurydice, which looks like it should be pronounced Eurydice. And that ties in because why, way? It does, because, before we get to that, what was funny is, see, when we got we heard the name of this restaurant, yeah. my immediate thought was, this is a me- this name is symbolic somehow. It's it has not to pertain just, to the story yeah, It's somehow. not just a fancy thing. Well, Eurydice is character from she's a character from Greek mythology, and she was married to a character called Orpheus, and she died, and he brought her back to life with enchanting music, apparently. So, which which is an, uh, a skill what indulges the senses. You could almost say like Robin does. It is yes, and also it's again works back into our theme of rare. To resurrection, which again is something that plays in with uh, Amir's mother as well. Yeah, because that's sad. That story, man. It's a tragic story. Yeah, and we'll get to. And I love the way that Amir delivered it. Yeah, but they're at this very high end restaurant. Yeah, and oh, that pretentious waitress. Yeah, I know she's just doing her normal spiel, but it's, decon- it's de- decon- deconstruction is like the word of the day in this restaurant, isn't it? Yeah. The- <sighs> deconstructed food no I'm like it's so pretentious for me deconstructed food is what happens when it's in your stomach so yeah because they want because he sat there again robin is just sat there all sat there all zen amir almost kind of looks embarrassed to be there with him because he sat there in his raggedy clothes he's got blood all over his face he looks so out of place he does what a place and he wants to see the head chef a guy called Derek. Derek. And Derek comes to the table, and he doesn't actually recognise Robin straight away, does he? Well, would you? Well, I wouldn't. No. no. You have to look in his eyes, but he comes and he sits down next to Robin, and this is one of my favourite scenes in the movie. This was great because... Because he kind of goes on to deconstruct Derek, doesn't he? That's exactly the thing. Again, the deconstruction thing, because I love... It's, like I say, one of the best things about the film is it's a lot of subtlety. There's no grand gestures or anything. He just sits there and talks to this man very directly about well basically he used to work under robin robin was this head chef of like a haute couture restaurant and he 
fired Derek, didn't he? Because he kept overcooking pasta. Yeah, just overcooking pasta. It seems like which seems a thing, is it? Yeah, but then again, if you're in this big fancy restaurant, yeah, that would probably yeah. not be tolerated. But then he goes on to essentially berate Derek. Because Derek's ambition, he wanted to start, was it an Irish pub? He wanted to start a pub uh, with almost, well, pub grub, wouldn't you? You would say grub, yeah. just simple, hearty meals Mike, was, that was, rather than all this pretentious yeah. waffle. That was his ambition. And Derek is constantly trying to talk his way around it. But Derek, you know, Robin's like, no, this is what you wanted to do. This was your ambition. Yeah, Robin very pointedly mm. well, deconstructs him, doesn't he? Yeah. He's pointing out in Derek the bullshit he's convinced himself of. Absolutely, yeah. And the smile on Derek's face, it's just... It's like... He's written through his teeth. Everything is falling apart behind that smile. Because it was his dream to open that pub, and Robin actually remembered, didn't he? Yeah, he Robin, remembers all of these. He, he remembers, remembers his, everything. He remembers all of these he's things. He's all-seeing, Wayne. Because throughout, yeah, throughout this film, he does visit several of his... Um, ex-colleagues and he has these you know these conversations with them some positive some negative but with Derek it's just he's so disappointed at him yeah because Rob deconstructs it when he's deconstructing him he said none of it is real the critics aren't real the the diners aren't real the all this all this spiel mm-hmm. and you're getting the impression that maybe Robin just left the falsity of the job he was in, he he could like see behind the veneer, yeah, and that it just wasn't that just was not it just wasn't it wasn't what he set out to do in the first place. No, it was a very plastic world. It was it was a very very artificial existence. He was just doing this just like to please person, like he was a dancing monkey or something. And I like suppose that. the the pub, the dream of Derek, is supposed to be like the complete opposite of everything the pretentious restaurant stands for. It's real food, yeah. real people. Well, just on his way. It's it's very much like the opposite ways now because he's doing this fancy stuff that Robin is just, which almost looks like Amir's apartment, doesn't it? That very it does that spacious, very white, it almost, sterile. It, it looks like an environment from a Stanley Kubrick film. Yeah, like very clinical. So almost. Yeah, it looks like a it looks like an insane asylum because it's just all just completely solid white. Yeah, because and Rob actually says, "Who supplied you the truffles?" Yeah, and he asks that several times. Uh, several times, I believe, and Derek is trying to dodge the question. Because Derek says, a man you don't want to mess with. Ooh, yeah. final boss. And then when he's saying that, we go to Amir and you can see Amir's face because he knows the reputation of his father. It's that realisation, yeah. And then on the concern of Amir's face, you see Robin notice that concern. So he doesn't he doesn't even have to tell him the name of the person because he's already picked it up. And from there we go outside, don't we? And this is almost at the risk of the most cagiest moment, mm-hmm. the most Nicolas Cage bit, because he's demanding to know where Amir's father is, isn't he? You think he's just going to flip out at And him. he kicks the car, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah. He boots the car. Yeah, he actually makes a, like, a, like a dent in the driver's passenger uh, door. And that's kind of the only... Would you say in the fil- in the entire film, that's the only stereotypically... Well, it's not even stereotypical, but the only heightened violence... Maybe. I thought you were going to say the only kind of stereotypical cage moment, but yeah, there, yeah. there is one that comes later on, which, again, got a laugh out of me because it was very unexpected. Ooh. It's uh, it's later on. It's where... No, sorry. Actually, it's before that. It's even before the rest yeah, of the this, scene. Yeah, the scene where, before Finway's it Yeah. Happened. Nicholas Cage is walking on the street and he comes to this one particular house. He goes around the back of the house and there's a kid playing... Um, a hand pan. He's playing a hand pan. Something I've not saw before. Yeah. This kid's sat in there and this, this big grizzly Adams looking guy turns yeah. up and he offers him to play the hand pan. And they sit and they make kind of playful banter. They talk about how there was a tree. A persimmon tree. A persimmon tree, yeah, which is like a, this kind of orange fruit. Well, a- he said he explains. He says it's a it's an orange fruit that kind of looks like a tomato. You can't eat it if it is not ripe. It's awful. But if you give it time, it gets rid of the things called tannins, and then they are very good. And then the kid says, "Did it die?" <laughs> Which kind of is? Do you think it's metaphorical to the I'm thinking plot of the film? For the persimmon, because I looked up the persimmon tree, and the one I found is that when the tree is young, it starts off very pale, very light. But as it grows older, it darkens, almost like. The kind of uh, Nicholas Cage's kind of outlook on life, I guess. Yeah, he's just got more cynical over time. He's got more cynical, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah he's kind of. Yeah, and it leads to what I was saying about the kind of Cage moment where when he leaves the house, he picks up a bicycle outside, <laughs> and it's like this teenager or this kid tries to confront him, and Cage just goes, ah, in his face and runs off. Again, because it came out of nowhere, I really wasn't expecting it, but that would be about the only other stereotypical cage moment that I really picked up on because you're a fan of meme cage did you appreciate that moment oh yeah I love no I love meme cage it's it's bored overacting cage I can't stand but that kind of meme cage is brilliant I love it 
you so you found it worked with this Absol- just that little punctuation you absolutely found. because well because of the weight of the emotions he's under when it happens it makes sense that he just has these little bursts even if he is zen he does have his moments of he does have his outbursts cages with him guys it's like whatever he does he can turn it to gold like something that you you would think could be tacky yeah, this is one of the rules and one of the performances that it, you need someone like Cage to pull off. Because there could be, you could run the risk of it being too downcast and too bleak. It could just be yeah. you know, very melancholy. Like, yeah, like, but like way too, like too, way too, like just way too leaden and lumpened. So obviously that was before Finways. We got to Finways, discussed that, and then we go to the hospital, don't we? And mm. that is when we actually find out Amir's mother is not actually dead but yeah. she's comatose comatose in the hospital yeah because yeah. that's what in, again the uh the uricity um like the uricity connection trying to bring back to life obviously not worked and she's just in this comatose state obviously being sh- sequestered away in this hospital that he's in because you see he's almost afraid to see her isn't he yeah he's he's like cowering at the door i think he's so because he even mentions he says he wishes his dad would just let her die which adds um depth to darius as well yeah, it makes him a more like kind of more interesting, more compelling antagonist. You would say. Well, what it does, it's it ties all three characters together, and they all have an inability to let things go. Yeah, they can't shed their pain, and they carry it with them. Yeah, like he can't, he yeah. can't bear to see the wife go. Yeah, and Cage as it, you know, with the <laughs> how pig it transpired. And then, yeah, and then, yeah. and then you see when you see Cage go into Darius's. You see, there's that shot where he's standing atop of his house, almost like the king of the castle, yeah. isn't he? Looking onto the munchkins Stare, below, staring out at his peons below. And Darius, he, he doesn't budge, does he? No, because C- uh, Cage keeps asking for his damn pig. This was a very I think also Darius a kind of restrained performance as well. Like he's he's the he's the guy that's in control and he knows it kind of thing. Yeah, that's another. He he's really subtle as well. He is. Yeah, he plays against type. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. He he's obviously kind of the big guy, well, not physically big, but you know the head honcho. He looks like the kind of guy who would be throwing his weight around most of the time. He was actually in Halloween H two O. Now was he? I never. I never. Have seen, you ever seen Halloween H two O? I've never seen that one. No. Is it Adam Arkin? Which uh, I, Alan Arkin's son? Yeah. Yeah, actually, actually Alan Arkin's son. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, he's actually Alan Arkin's son. Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah. I just thought they had the same surname, to be honest. Yeah, a bit of coincidence, but yeah, but no, he. I thought he was good in this because he's that again understated uh, as well, very understated, but the right level of not the level of understated where it becomes just bland. boring and yeah. bland. Yeah, no, he's understated to the point that even his silence, there's strength in it. Again, this a lot of this movie's strength does lie in its silence. It doesn't need to be saying something all the time, which is actually an interesting part because I was, I was reading an interview with. Nicholas Cage, and he, he compares this film to a haiku where he says the spaces between the words are more important than the words themselves. They are. Well, like, for example, again, because the opening sequence is basically wordless. Yeah, it, it, all this film is, it's what's not said is the importance because what they're saying doesn't really matter. The pig doesn't bloody matter. Mm-hmm. This is not about a pig. No. It, everything is really just characters and how they deal with pain. Basically, that's, yeah. a, that's it's, the gist of the it's, film. It's essentially how different people approach grief, how different people approach loss. Well, that kind of even ties in with director Sarnofsky's um, influence for this film, which was actually influenced by the death of his father as a child and how that impacted and integrated into the family dynamic through the years. So, like actual real life loss being worked into it. Yeah, Again, and just adding to the authenticity of and the And this film. kind of idea of generational trauma and how past trauma kind of affects the present like how you can inherit like how trauma is something you can inherit from past and how you hold that through the years and how it affects your life going forward and how it's is very very destructive for us yeah also another thing i liked about this scene i was mentioning the continuity earlier about blood on cage's face you notice in this scene and also uh, i think the scene before as well that Cage's face has started to swell. I really like that. Like, you could have forgotten that, but they actually shown his face swelling from the injuries from earlier because obviously he's not sought any medical attention. No. So it's like, I, I, I like that. How they've. Do you get the feeling this was maybe shot in chronological order? I think so. I think it's probably easier when you're doing it in a shorter span of time as well, do you think? It probably is because, again, even for the actors, it gives them a better chance to help develop their characters. Yeah, there's kind of a almost like a symmetry you can... Yeah. 
because you're like, I'll be this way now, and then in the next scene, I know to be a little bit further along. But yeah, I, I just love that. Bit and of you said what? It's about I never I missed that. Like it's about to pop almost. His it's swell in his face. Yes, it's basically it does look like it's about to pop because I think even his eyes are kind of swelling shut as almost well. Almost like the film's coming to a conclusion. Ah, like <laughs> like we're reaching the climax. Yeah, yeah. That's maybe what it is. He's about to. What he's going to go on to do now is it's still about wanting his pig back, so he's going to go about getting it back. But the way he goes about trying to coax the information. I thought was really fascinating because what he does now, he's essentially going to start gathering ingredients together. Yeah, and that's when the title comes up as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, the title, yes. A bird, a bottle, and a salted baguette. Mm. That sounds delicious. What do you think? Oh, well. <laughs> it kind of looked like a pigeon, did it? It's, it did, yeah. Yeah, that, that didn't look too delicious. Well, that wasn't too delicious. This is just the sound of it was nice, but because this is where we get him, we get to meet more of his ex-colleagues. Because the next one is a baker, isn't it? Well, first is it actually the mausoleum? Oh, the mausoleum he goes to, yeah, where we find out that yeah. Robin more revelations, yeah, Robin, yeah, was actually, he actually his, his wife be, Laurie, yeah, used to be married, yeah, and, and that's he, where her ashes are stored in this mausoleum. Yeah, and they've got their collection of wine, strangely there. Yeah, the wine was there. I didn't think that was a strange detail. Like, yeah, what was special, that? These special wines were. Well, I don't know. Is that a thing now? But the mausoleum's there, but where the plot next to her is already reserved. I think it was reserved for him, but yeah, because he goes there and he gets this wine, which is obviously this very high, very high-end wine he goes to get. Do you know what I actually find interesting? Sorry to cut you off, because this actually happened prior to this scene when um, Robin leaves Darius's. Amir's waiting outside in the car for him, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Amir says, "I'm sorry, I told him about the pig. I didn't know he'd take her." Where Rob says, "I didn't need the pig to find truffles. The trees tell you the trees, where to look. The trees tell the you. Trees. Yeah. I didn't even know. Is that a thing?" But, uh, Can no, you find I, truffles I, by trees? I thought you did, because well, they used to use dogs, but apparently the dogs' noses would damage them, so that's why they started using pigs. Is this just a sign that Cage is now so in touch with his surroundings that he can just do it? Maybe. But it also demonstrates that having the pig is not something he has, is not something because of, nece- uh, you know... Well, well, Amir says to him, then why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Where Rob, and Rob says, I love I her. I love that pig. Yeah, I love yeah. her, yeah. But I don't, he's not speaking about the pig, do you think? No, I don't think so. I've never thought that. We've no. spoken earlier about how it was kind of metaphorical. Metaphorical. And, metaphorical. and obviously that ties in with a mausoleum, doesn't it? The and mos- when you find out that Laurie's Mausoleum dead. and mo- mo- Laurie's, Laurie's dead in the thing, which, like, yeah. With a cachet of wine for some cache reason. cachet of wine for wine, yeah. So he gets the wine. And then was it the bakery The bakery went to next? Yeah, they went to the ba- they went to the bakery. Whereas a f- the bakery was with Rob and Laurie's old restaurant, which is... Been turned into a bakery by the former employer. Again, again employee. Another, another, again, another colleague of another colleague of Robbins. Yeah. Yeah, because Laurie. Uh, sorry, the the baker says she left it as it was the restaurant for was it two years? She said because she kept expecting Robin to turn up, and which he just, he never and he did. Just never, he just never did. As yeah. we know, he's been in the woods for that damn long. So I'm guessing he just like left his left his departure was just unannounced. Yeah, and that's where he gets them two salted baguettes. Mm-hmm. And there's a long embrace, isn't there? Yeah, there's very. it's almost like she embraces him like she knows she may never see him again. Like this time his trip away could be permanent. And I think it's maybe a physical telling of Robin's ingratiation back into civilization. Yeah, like he's moving back into it. Yeah, yeah he's kind of... Im- that's what I say, a physical embracing yeah. of the he's, he's civilization al- he left behind. He's allowing these parts of civilization to kind of sort of kind of ooze back into him, basically. Yeah, he's he's feeling humanity again. Yeah, he's, That's what it is. Yeah, it's like he's kind of remembering what it was like before, you know, in his old life, basically. Because he even find a nice touch after this, because he gets that two salted baguettes off the baker, and when he goes out to Amir in the car, obviously the meal just needs the one baguette, and he gives Amir the other, another, like, touch of humanity. Yeah, it's almost like these things are kind of coming, and they're, or they're almost unintentional. It's like he just suddenly has a moment, oh, I'll get two baguettes, one for Amir. And again, because I think Amir has probably the best arc, kind of like arc in the movie. Yeah, he does, yeah. Especially especially because he starts off as not a villain, but just not a very likable, just not a very likable character, yeah. Yeah, he's there to dislike until you find his find the reasons straight away but then, and then you can empath- empathize with when him. you just see you know he's that kind of scared kid dynamic that he's got going yeah on. and when they've got this they go to Darius's house don't they Darius's house yeah and this is kind of the denouement of the film Do, yeah, call to, it. to carry out one of the one of one of the strangest shows of well this ties in because when we were saying about uh, when we were in Amir's apartment and he was referencing his parents 
how they would argue. But on this time, on one time, they went to this restaurant by a known chef, mm-hmm. and they came back with a joy he had never really witnessed his parents have. Mm-hmm. And now what is going to happen? And now they are going to cook the meal yeah. that Darius and his wife, what made them so yeah, happy. I, watching the scene, I had this huge smile on my face. Not just how clever it was, just to think what the scene could have been. It could have been, you know, like Cage doesn't, Robin doesn't, there's no shouting, there's no threatening, there's nothing no. like that. He just cooks a meal and prepares wine yeah, and serves it to this guy. I tell you a nice uh, fact. You know when he's washing his hands when they've been making the meal. I like this touch. Um, in the editing, because the editing for this film took place during COVID. Oh yeah. And Nick on Nicholas Cage's demands, the hand washing scene is elongated to show the importance of washing hands during COVID. Because yeah, so far he's been shown to be a pretty unsanitary yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah. And then he shows that that's brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, Cage. <laughs> Cage thinking of hygiene. Cage thinking of hygiene. Yeah. Also, I guess because you know he's not a very sanitary person, so it's showing the, him showing the importance. Washing, importance of washing hands and how it ties into contemporary yeah, COVID con- contemporary times. events, and you know, and preparing a, a high class meal. Oh yeah. And then he serves it up because it's the wine from, let's say, the uh, the mausoleum. And then all these ingredients the from the restaurant. The Was bird, bird as well. Yeah. And he's and it serves it up, and it's this very uncomfortable meal it's almost weird seeing cage sat there using like a knife and fork yeah it's, <laughs> it's like i said before it's like the mountain man here's the mountain man you expect him just to yeah. pick up a joint of meat and just, just gnaw into just, it you expect him just to stab it with a fork and just shovel it into his but mouth no you kind of see his former life coming back as he prepared that meal didn't you, you? which he never left actually because at the start in the cabin when he was preparing that meal and then the care he took which is a Something you miss first time again because he's you can see always oh, a dab and at cook and then yeah. you think ah this is why because it's that that part of him that never left yeah he's that, always that would... had this attention to detail yeah especially when it yeah when it comes to things like this and so so what happens what happens when he sits to have the meal Darius is overcome isn't he yeah he's just again that's what I liked about it because he didn't need to threaten him or do anything like this he just he just makes this meal just reminding him of maybe the last time he was happy. Well, that's what it, well, it's well, one a of re- the only times. It's a rekindling of the memory of when his wife was his wife, essentially. Basically, yeah. yeah. He just can't take it, and he just has this breakdown, and, and then, he kind of jettisons off. Does yeah? He, he wonders. He goes off to say because he's, he he's of, so overwhelmed, and he downs a. It look what looks like brandy, doesn't it? Yeah, he just takes this massive, massive, just necks this glass, and Cage follows him. And uh, was it from there? He says he never forgets a meal, and yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. I, I could never... Because do you not say he remembers every customer, he remembers exactly what they ordered. That's when Cage kind of... He once again asks about his where's, pig, where's doesn't his he? pig, yeah. And then we get the real gut punch of the film. That the junkies killed it by being too rough. Yeah, they were too rough with it. Also, I noticed Cage's reaction to this. It's not a big drawn-out thing because he collapses to the floor and it does that thing... The sound cuts out. Yeah, like like you get it in war films when there's been an explosion and everyone hear- hearing goes. Yeah. So the sound goes and he drops down and it kind of cuts off really abruptly. Yeah, it's almost like all the senses have been removed and all you're seeing is his physical reaction. Again, kind of back to the Zen thing, everything has just been completely shut off from him. He's just, yeah, it's just like he's just he's just blanked out completely. Yeah, and you can't help feel sorry for this guy because you're essentially at this point, you've put two and two together and you've said, okay, this was never about the pig. This represented his dead wife, Yeah, this, this pig. This was his search for redemption. This was this like last tangible connection to basically civilization, to yeah. like a normal life that he had. And now that it's been taken away from him. You really feel his pain at that I, point. I did, yeah. I was like, it was just sat there, it was just so sad. And then it cuts... It, like I say, it's quite a rapid cut after that. Isn't yeah, because we go to the diner, doesn't he? Yeah, it goes back to that because it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't linger on Cage crying on the ground. It just cuts away from it, like back to this. Away yeah, to and this in, the, diner. in the diner, he says to her, "Mia, I'm thinking if I didn't come looking for her, in my head she'd still be still alive." Still be alive. Yeah. Where Amir where says, "But she wouldn't." It's just facing up to that reality. Yeah, the, the, isn't it's it? kind of well, what would you say? It's it's accepting that what's what's gone is gone. Or no matter how much you try to blind yourself from the truth, the life still happens you can only just sort of carry on from there like i say we've seen him he's completely beaten and he's broken now and it's but now yeah because they go outside the diner don't they and he just shakes amir's hand again yeah, it's, this because it's rob that offers the hand out yeah it's again this attachment to humans again isn't it it's like 
he's not fully sethered that tie to civilization because he's, he's he's well he's resuming his partner. Well, he's, em- he's embracing the world again yeah, and he's resuming his partnership with Amir because because at one point he does storm off and he says that you know that's it we're done but no he says to well, he says to Amir I'll see you next Thursday no 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 he says it's I'll see you Thursday so he leaves the next out so that I thought because first he was like I'll see you next Thursday now it's I'll see you Thursday oh yeah so it's now it's now a polite way of saying goodbye yeah and it's uh, well it's and he's almost it's more glad to see him isn't he yeah it is, like it's an embrace and that he'll be there on thursday yeah it's it's more it's more comforting than anything else because when he goes off he because he goes to his to the river and he washes his face which is the first time he's done that well that's essentially him washing his face in the river when he gets back to his cabin he's almost purifying himself of the pain isn't he yes almost like again he's going back to his his old environment yeah and he's just he's just washing all of this away what's what he's been through and from the river i really like did you like that slow walk to the cabin slow walk to the cabin yeah again it goes back to the start it's kind of mirroring that where it's just all just showing the minutiae of him yeah. going about in his daily his daily and life. he finally puts that cassette back in doesn't he yeah very somberly very somberly yeah and he plays and it's it's a song it's i'm uh, on fire i'm on fire by bruce springsteen and it's actually sung by by his wife yeah laurie yeah and it's like that song basically sings us out. Yeah, because he sits on his bed and he kind of looks to the heavens, doesn't he? Which I'm assuming it's him looking to Laurie, isn't it? Yeah, so was that him just like accepting it, maybe, or trying at least coming to terms with it in a sense? So, did you like the ending? Was it? Did it satisfy you that ending? I liked the ending. Yeah, I thought it was great. Very on point, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, it felt it. It felt earned. It felt. It didn't even feel. Did it feel like a happy ending necessarily? It was a happy ending because within the story. It's his redemption from pain, mm-hmm. and it he's is, redeemed yeah. from that now. He's accepted what's happened, yes, yeah. and in a sense, emotionally, he's I wouldn't say cured, but emotionally, he's found what he was searching for, and that was peace with what happened to his wife. Yeah, and that's essentially like his his story is now complete. So yeah, it it, it was a happy ending. Do you think he stays in the cabin, or do you think he goes back? I. I could imagine he would he would go back and forwards yeah. more than before. Maybe he would go in with a mirror to do something. Or do or... you think he's found contentment out in the cabin and he's just going to stay there? No, I, I don't think so. I think there'd be times when he'd go back to he'd yeah. go back to civilization now and then. I don't think he'd want to completely, completely it shut, shut it off now, especially not that he's had this full... I don't want to say adventure. No, he's had a redemption story. This is, yes, he's had a redemption story. So I can see him going out into the woods in the future with Amir. The film itself, it's a very pensive film. It's a very meditative film, isn't it? takes it? its time, not in a bad way, because no. uh, when the movie was originally made, it was more than two hours long, but the distributors wanted it cut down. Yeah, and another interesting thing, did you see in the original or early draft of the script there was scenes in france and spain that was what it was supposed to be originally i don't know it didn't um i, I wonder if there was going to be if they had a bit bigger budget if there was going to be flashback scenes to him and there could have been because i, I had, wonder it was originally going to be based in france and then spain and then it just ended up being portland oregon is yeah what they shot it, so. which it works better i think no i think it does i think yeah like the the out in the woods kind of thing it, it very much suits the aesthetic of the film uh, and did you know, Osley, do you know who had it on their top uh, top uh, favourite films of 2021 list? Obama. Barack Obama. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder where it was on his list. Does it ever... Uh, no, it doesn't say. It was It was in his top 14, though, which is... Oh, well, that's a random which number. Which is one of those strange... Oh, just top 14. It's kind of strange when things... I mean, like, if I'd been doing a list of last year, that would have been... That would have been way up there for 2021. It was definitely one of the best films from that year that I saw. Yeah, and, it was un- and it's unexpected, isn't it? Because you almost expect... Uh, a certain thing from Cage at this point. You do, yeah. And it's the complete opposite. That's what I'm saying. It's the antithesis of everything you think is going to be. Yeah, that's what he said he wanted to do. Is he even said he wanted to show that he can still give those those grounded, contemplative performances, and he did. I thought he, Cage was fantastic in this. I think he might get very much overlooked, but a lot of people have acknowledged this movie. I think this is a film that will do very well on like the independent independent film awards. It will, especially I think, especially in years to come, people will look back on this film and say it didn't quite get the love that it got. That well, it deserved, do you think so. it's a classic in the making? Would I you think say? so. You I think I think so. An indie classic, anyway. I don't know. Is it because it's not a feast of the art feast for the eyes? Really, it's is not. It? Well, no, it quite. 
it's it's not a visually striking Or do you think it's more a, a thing people are going to look back and say, oh yeah, Nicolas uh, Cage was really good in this? I think so, yeah. I, th- I think maybe Do you people... think it'll be more known for Cage's performance rather than the film itself? Probably, yeah. I mean, I think Alex Wolf should get a lot more praise as well because I think he was fantastic in it as well, especially because, like I say, his arc, I think, was maybe the most complete arc in the film or maybe like the most interesting arc overall. Yeah, well, they're the only really two characters you care about obviously of course, of course you you cared somewhat towards darius but yeah. he's in it that little yeah that you're not really with him to get to the point where you're emotionally invested it's clear where the focus is a lot of other characters are even characters like like people like derek are only in one scene yeah so, so it's just there's not a lot of focus on uh, you're at the end like of the day you're not you don't give too much of a shit about Derek's pub. No, it's not. I'm not. I'm not thinking back. Oh, you know, I wish Derek's part had been oh, expanded. Poor, poor Derek. Yeah, poor Derek, not getting his Irish pub or what it was. But um, the focus very much, you know, on Cage, on Alex Wolf, definitely in the right place. I thought it was great. I was very, very happy about this. Be good to see where Sarnof- Sarnofsky goes from this as well. It will. And I was going to say it'll be interesting to know where Cage goes. And we do know because the next film he's doing, he's been talking about, it's called. The unbearable weight of massive talent. Oh, my God. So he goes from this and subtly and nuanced to he's essentially going to be playing a character. He's playing himself, sort of, because what happens is it says he plays an ageing actor who's supposed to be helping the CIA. He's, Yeah, he's basically playing an exaggerated version of himself. A character, I'd say. Yeah. Could you imagine an exaggerated version of Nicolas Cage? It's going to be crazy, but uh, for sure, I would recommend this. I was really looking forward to it. From the moment I heard the premise, I wanted to see this film. And for me, um, it didn't disappoint at all. Definitely recommend. More for Cage, I'd say. Yeah. I'm not sure if uh, I'd go full. I I don't know if I'd say it was a great film. No. Would you? I'm not sure I'd even say it's... I don't even say it's the Cage film I enjoyed the most. It's one of my favourite Cage performances. I think. Right, but this is a film where you could acknowledge it's really good, but are you going to sit down and rush to watch it again? No, no, no. It's it's not it's not light viewing. It's no. not the kind of film like, oh, let's just kick back and put pig on. No. no, it's not that kind of thing. It's a film that does require does require your concentration. It does require you know some kind of input from you. So, where do you think this compares to his in his filmography? Where would you place it? Would you place it up there or Definitely, I'd place I'd place it up there. Yeah, one of your favorite Cage one films. One of my favorites. One of his favorite, my favorite of his dramatic performances. I think I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed Joe. Although right. that's another film I definitely recommend. There's some, there are some that are easier to watch. Right. But for me, as a diehard Nicolas Cage fan, uh, I loved it. Yep, and I really liked it as well. So that's two recommendations. Two recommend. So yep, Pig, fantastic movie. You've been listening to episode two of In Film We Trust. Once again, I'm Liam. I'm Wayne. Join us next week where we would discuss, dissect and deep dive all things film from the obscure to the mainstream.